pastor's portion. I'm going to speak for a little bit, and we're going to have communion this morning. But I want to talk to you a little while on this subject, not too far. Not too far. If we turn our Bibles to Exodus chapter number 8, verse number 28 is where I'm going to start. It says, And Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far. Entreat for me. You know, when you look at the Bible, you have typologies. Pharaoh is a type of the devil. You got Egypt, a type of the world of sin. You got the Red Sea, a type of baptism. And you have these typologies. Well, here, it's like Pharaoh is saying, I don't mind if you want to serve God. Just don't serve God too hard. Only go a little way. Just don't give it all you got. You know, if you'll just go a little way, I'm happy. You see, the devil doesn't care if you speak in tongues till you get an accent. He doesn't care if you fast till your belly button touches your backbone. As long as he can get you not to obey the word of God, he's still got it licked. But when you begin to obey the word of God and you go down in the water in Jesus' name and you come up with your sins washed away and all things become new, he loses his grip. He loses his say. And you went farther than he can reach you. So the devil wants to keep his hand upon us. My dad broke his neck when he was nine years old. And he had to relearn to walk. He had to relearn to talk. He had to learn how to use his arms again. And one side of his body all my life did not work real well because he broke his neck and paralyzed part of it. But he had made up his mind that he was going to walk again. And until he was 12 years old, he ran around like a monkey with his arms on the ground and is kind of crawling. And he could go almost as fast as his brothers that way until he learned how to stand on his own feet again. But he was so embarrassed by his condition that when people would come over to their house, he would hide under the stairs because he didn't want nobody to see him with his broken neck. Because he couldn't walk right. He drug his left leg a little bit. And all my life, as long as I can remember, my dad drug his left leg because he was nine years old. And I wasn't born quite then. In fact, I wasn't born until he was 36. But he had to learn how to do things and he had to make up his mind, it's not going to hold me back. And the devil can tell you, you got a handicap. He can tell you that you can't do it. He can throw condemnation in your face and say, look what you've done back here. Look how far you went back here. Look what you've done. He wants to handicap you. But I want you to know something. God has given you the power to overcome it, and you do not have to be handicapped any longer. You can say, devil, you're not going to hold me back. You're not going to tell me I can only go so far. I am going to serve God with my whole heart. I am going to become what God wants me to become. I am going to step into the will and purpose of God, and you're not going to hold me back any longer. You know, Hebrews 3, or... Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 16 through 19, it talks about how they could not enter into the promised land because of unbelief. They went right to the promised land. They were given a cloud by day, which was acted more than just a guide. It acted like an air conditioning service for them in that hot desert. They were given fire by night that was their heater in that hot desert. They were given manna 
to eat. They were, when they started complaining about the manna, they were given quail to eat and taken care of. When they needed water, water come out of a rock. They were well taken care of. But when it comes time that for you to step into promise, everything shuts off. When it comes, there's two bodies of water you've got to cross in life to serve God. The first one is the Red Sea. That is the body of water when you get baptized in Jesus' name, Nick kills Pharaoh and puts the devil down behind you. And it gives you a way that you can step in and go through the promise. Now from the promised land to Egypt was only supposed to take about 11 to 12 days. But if you notice, they went across the Red Sea and they didn't go far into the desert and they came to the waters of Mara. The waters of Mara were bitter water. Now, bitter water or brackish water in the desert will make you sick. But it will also give you acute dysentery. And if you drink it, it won't be long and everything in your body will be purged. And your taste will completely change. I know somebody it happened to, they like steak and all at once they didn't want steak, they wanted hot dogs. That's the truth. And I said, what? You don't want steak? Nope. I want hot dogs. I want bologna. They wanted the salt. Their, their taste buds have changed. You see, when you have a taste for something, and you eat a piece of pizza, for instance, and three days later you say, I want pizza. Well, one of them fat cells from that pizza has let loose into your system. And all at once you say, I want the taste of pizza again. But when you have your system purged, and you no longer have the taste for that, you're no longer going to want pizza. You're not going to remember what it tasted like. And if they had drank the bitter waters of Mara that they went to first, it would have purged them of all the taste for Egypt. If you noticed in the Bible, every time they started murmuring and complaining, they said, let us have the leeks, let us have the garlics, let us have the cucumbers like we ate in Egypt. Take us back to what we used to have. And until we face some bitter things in life that make us change, we always want to go back to something that we used to have. But God wants us to stop and say, hey, I put you here. I want you to partake of it because it's going to help you. It's going to purge you. It's going to cleanse you. And you're no longer going to long for those things. It always worries me when I get around somebody and they want to talk about all the things in their past. Like they're bragging about what they used to do. You ever been around somebody that way and you're looking at them and say, didn't God forgive you? Didn't he get you out of that? Why are you so proud of it? Why are you so proud of how mean you could be? Why are you so proud of how ornery you could be? Why are you so proud of some things you used to do? God got you out of them. It's nothing to be proud of. It's something to say, I thank God for his blessings. I thank God for his mercy. Look where he's brought me from. But sometimes in trying to tell you, look where God's brought me from, we start saying, look what I used to be. Instead of saying, look what God brought me from. There's a difference we have to watch. You got to remember, unbelief is the catalyst to disobedience. When you will not believe and you will, you will not trust, and because you will not trust, you will not partake of the things of God. Because of fear. The Bible says perfect love casteth out all fear. 
When fear is gone, there is nothing that hinders you any longer. When my daughters were little, I used to stand them on the countertop. And I'd put them on the cutting board. And I'd give that thing a hit and I'd catch them before they hit the floor. They thought it was the funnest trick there was. They had no fear. I wouldn't try it now to my grandkids for nothing. I don't think I'm fast enough anymore. Besides that, their mothers would wring my neck. I'd have probably two son-in-laws wanting to talk to me outside in the back porch. But I used to, it used to be fun because they trusted their dad. They trusted, and but every once in a while, they'd climb up on the counter, Dad! And I'd have to turn, and they'd be coming through the air at me already. I'd have to be quick and turn and catch them because they weren't going to trust me very much longer if I didn't. One time, me and my brother were throwing one of my daughters back and forth between us, and she was laughing, and my dad was sitting there. He said, you know why she's laughing? She's so glad you're catching her. And we can, with Jesus, we can go ahead and jump. He'll catch us. He said, try me and know that I am God. Trust me. Obey me. You know, Job 28, 28 says, the fear of the Lord is wisdom. To turn from evil is understanding. When we fear reverence God, we become wise. But we're not going to understand the word of God. We're not going to have revelation of the word of God until we will turn from evil, until we start to obey it. When we obey it, we begin to see it and to understand why we need to obey it. And that is when we can go past what the devil wants to hold. He wants to say, hey, you can only go this far. I don't care if you go to church. I don't care if you get the Holy Ghost. I don't even care if you get baptized in Jesus' name as long as you don't repent real well. You know, when you repent real well, you turn and you walk away from it. You don't go back to it. Too many times we come and we repent and we get it from the altar when we take it right with us. We pick it right back up and we try to carry it. And then we wonder why we're struggling. We wonder why we're beat down. We wonder why we get depressed. We wonder why we get oppressed because we didn't leave it at the altar. But when you turn and you walk away from it and you say, I'm not looking back at it. I do not care no more. When they asked, and they said, are you going to go also? Jesus asked his disciples, and Peter looked at him and said, where shall we go? You have the keys to eternal life. We got to make up our mind. I started this thing to finish. I didn't start to give up in a little while. I didn't start to go halfway. You ever take your car to a car wash, and they wash one side of it? It comes out, and they said, we want paid for half of it. That's how we act sometimes to God. He went to a cross. He died for our sins. He shed his blood. He was beaten beyond recognition. And yet we want to say, hey, we'll just wash half of it. He said, I paid the price. He said, here, we'll, we'll just wash half of it for you, God. But that ain't it. Unless we give all to God, we can't have all of God. We want all the power. A while back I was praying. And I said, God, I want to see your power. I want to see your anointing move like never before. He said to me, he said, look at the light switch on the wall. And I did. He said, you have more trust in that light switch than you have in me. And I said, what do you mean? He said, when you flip that light switch on, you expect the lights to go on in this room. 
He said, when you, every time you pray to me, you don't expect my power to work. He said, you want my power to work in your life? He said, if you will seek my face, I will give you my hand. Don't seek my hand and expect that I will let you see my face. But if you'll seek my face, you'll also see my hand. If you'll go far enough to say, God, I want to see your glory as Moses did. God said, I can't show you my complete glory, but I'll let you see the hinder parts. I'll let you see the end of it. But you got to understand something. When God shows you the end, he's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last, all encompassed into one. So when Moses seen the end, he began to write Genesis 1-1 in the beginning. God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the waters and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. That's what he's seen. He didn't just see the back end of God walking past. He's seen the beginning and the end. He's seen the first and the last. He's seen the Alpha and the Omega. He's seen the cross. That's how he knew to put the serpent upon the cross in the wilderness to have the children of Israel look upon it and be healed when the serpents bit him. He's seen it. He knew. That's why when he struck the rock the second time in the wilderness, he could not go into the Canaan land because he knew that God was to be struck once and spoken to the second time. He was not the supposed to be struck twice. And when he struck the rock the second time, he did not sanctify God because he's seen the revelation. When you see the revelation, you don't obey it. We got to be very careful because we are stepping into places that will set us back and will hold us. I don't know about you, but life is too short to be held by something. The Bible says, lay aside every sin and the weight that thus so easily beset you. I've learned in the last few months since I had this operation, been losing this weight, that weight can make a lot of difference on you. But I also learned this, and as I was praying, God started showing me, weight comes on you slowly. It doesn't just jump on you you don't go to bed at 100 pounds and wake up at 300. It doesn't happen that slow, that fast. You go to bed and you wake up at 102. The next day you wake up at 105. Pretty soon you're at 200. And it just goes on slow. And things in our lives that we just pick up slowly. The things that we didn't used to want to touch all at once, we're picking them up. We're just playing with them. I'm not going to keep them. But it's, just, it's okay if it's right here and I can still see it. Before long, you're holding it in your hand. Before long, you're picking it up and you're playing with it. And before you know it, it's got to hold you. And it's in your life. And next thing you know, you're partaking of it. And now it's, it's not as bad as it used to be because no, now you're no longer obeying the Word of God. Now you're doubting the word of God, just like Eve did in the garden when Satan asked her the first question, hath God said? And now you're taking the power of God and the exclamation point that God has put when he said, it shall be. And Satan took that exclamation point in chapter 3 of Genesis, and he just kind of bent it out of shape into a question mark. And we tend to take God's exclamation points and build them and bend them out of shape, and it becomes a question mark in our life. Will God really send me to hell for this? Will God really 
hold me accountable for this. I want to tell you something, my friend. Yes, he will. When God said it, it's true. When he says don't do it, don't do it. When he says do it, do it. And you will have the power and anointing of God on your life like you've never seen before. You will see God move and work in your life like you want to see. You will become what God has for you to become. You know, it's not an easy thing to walk with God according to our standard. But when you look at God's standard, it's very easy to walk with God. Someone says, I'm having a big problem. And I looked at them and I said, is that according to your eyes or God's eyes? You ever been at 40,000 feet in an airplane and looked out at the Rocky Mountains? You ever been there? If you're at the bottom of them Rockies going down Highway 70 through Colorado, them things look pretty big. When you're at 40,000 feet looking down at them, they look awful small. And when you begin to think, see things from God's point of view, you begin to look at your problem and say, that's not no problem at all. That's just a little bump in the road. It's not a big you know, hill I got to climb. I had a friend, he was an old guy, and he was a, he was a ditch digger. He put in septic systems. He's the one who taught me how to run backhoe and everything. And he used to say to me this. I'd say, that's quite a deal we got to do. And he'd look at me and say, that's no hill for a stepper. I want you to understand something. It's no hill for a stepper. If you'll get with it and say, you know what? It's not going to hold me back. I don't care what anybody does. I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to serve God. You know, we don't watch it. We make a big mistake. And that big mistake is we get preacher religion. In other words, we spend more time trying to impress the preacher than we try to impress God. Now the children of Israel that happened to and when their pastor went on a 40 day vacation upon the mountain he came back and they were all dancing around with no clothes on around a fire there was a golden calf sitting there that they said they threw all their jewelry into the fire that God gave them to build the house of God and said it just popped out because they were used to being slaves. And when nobody laid a whip to their back any longer, but somebody would love them, they didn't know how to act. Because they hadn't got the taste of Egypt out of them. They hadn't made up their mind, I'm going all the way. And when you think someone needs to beat you over the head because you've messed up, it's time to stop and realize, I've got a slave mentality yet. I've got that mentality that Pharaoh gave to me and Satan gave to me when he beat me down all the time and he condemned me all the time. And I lived in condemnation and didn't know how to get out of it. I'm tired of this mentality. I want to live for God. I like the love of God better than the whip of Satan. And we got to be careful if we expect to be beat down because we do something wrong instead of love through it. Instead of someone criticizing us, someone's taking us by the arm and saying, come on, we can do it. We can go on. Yeah, you made a mistake. You've fallen. But come on, get your feet under you. Let's get going again. Yes, the mud puddle got your shoes muddy. But let's clean it off. It's time to go forward. It's not time to sit around. I'm glad that someone, a preacher, preached me out of Egypt. I'm glad that Jesus went to the cross and shed his blood for me. Aren't you? 
and I want to make sure that I live for him, that what I do, I do for him, and I obey his word and walk with him. No, Jesus went to the cross, and we asked, how much would you give for me, God? And he stretched out his arms, and he said, I'll give this much. I'll give everything. How much blood would you shed for me, Jesus? I'll shed all I have. The little girl had leukemia. She went to the hospital. They said, we need a blood transfusion. Who's got a blood match? They said her little brother does. They went and said, little boy, we need some of your blood for your sister. The little boy said, okay. He sat down and he said, can I pray a minute? He sat down on the bed and he prayed. A silent little prayer and a tear went down his cheek. And he laid back his head on the bed and he said, okay, I'm ready. He thought they were going to take all his blood. And he was going to give his life for his sister. And Jesus laid down his life just that way. And he said, I'll give my blood for you. That it'll cover you in your sin. It'll cover you in your mess. It'll cover you when you have no hope. I'm going to reach down. I'm going to put my blood there for you. The writer wrote, said, come boldly to the cross in your time of need. We mess up. We can say, God, I know who you are. I'm come running to you. If the servers would please come, if you'd stand to your feet this morning. We're going to take communion. And I want as you take this communion, I want you to understand. The devil's been holding you back. You say, God, I need your blood to cover me. I need your blood over me. God, I'm giving it all to you. I want your blood as we partake. And remember the blood he shed for us. We remember his body that was bruised and broken for us. We say, God, I remember. I'm not just going to go so far, but God, I'm giving myself to you all the way again today. I'm going to start over. I've been messing up a little here and there, and I've been holding on to things. But God, today as I take this communion, I give myself back to you completely. I give myself wholly unto you, O oh God. If we could start and just have the front rows, we'll just line up and come get the communion. Just remember, God died for you. He made a way because of his blood. He said, I give it all with you. Don't just go a little ways. I want all of you. I gave all to you. Would you give all to me? Shameful.